0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Mixed martial arts and boxing fans,
0: it's time for Fighter's Fury Inside the Heart of a Champion. With your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighter's Fury on AM790 The Ticket. And good Sunday morning everybody, welcome on in, Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket, Tobin here with you, we're going to start things off today, we are going to have one of our favorites in studio, Daya Davis, Daya Ali Davis, aka Dangerous Daya Davis, he is making his return to the boxing ring on September 1st, he is fighting at the Seminole Casino in Coconut Creek, and you guys will be able to get your tickets, go to his social media pages at Daya, D-Y-A-H, underscore Ali, A-L-Y, Daya, underscore Ali, Or you can uh, find him on Twitter, at Daya Ali Davis, and you get your tickets that way. And um, make sure you're out there supporting local boxing, supporting local mixed martial arts. Um, You know, I know a lot of our fans here always pining for the big shows, but there's a lot of great shows that get put on otherwise, and in the meantime, while we're all hoping for those to get going. So, you know, we've been following Daya for a long time down here. He's been on the show multiple times, but it's been a while, so we're happy to have him back on. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Daya Davis is a super middleweight. He fights at 168 pounds. His father was Howard Davis Jr., who was the Olympic gold medalist and um, an amazing trainer at American Top Team. And Dia now is uh, taking the reins there at American Top Team. He trained some of the best fighters on the planet Dustin Poirier, Amanda Nunez, Hector Lombard, and Njachik. So he has a lot of experience on both fields, and so we're going to talk to him about not only his journey back into the ring as he looks to get his boxing career uh, resumed in September, but also uh, working with some of the top mixed martial artists on the planet and that balance of being a fighter and coach. So hope you all enjoy the conversation. Very excited. We're getting right into things here on the top of today's show. Uh, A guy I've been looking forward to having on the show for, for a while. It's been a while. Daya Ali Davis, joining us in Studio Daya. Thanks for the time, man. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, brother. Glad to be back, man. It's been a while, like well, you said. It's good to have you back. It's good to see that you're going to be back in the ring September 1st at the Seminole Coconut Creek Casino. People mm-hmm. are going to see you uh, back in action. Uh, I guess we'll start here. So it's, it's been a little bit. You were on such a good run in 2016, 3-0, bang, bang, bang. And uh,
1: it's been a minute. Why why uh, why the layoff and why now the the comeback? Uh, You know what? Unfortunately, in, in boxing, it's just people don't want to fight, man. They they don't want tough fights. You see a lot of the guys who are in the top 10 who, you know, basically have a good shot at fighting for the title. They're trying to get the easiest way to that position. So a lot of times I'm avoided, you know, unfortunately, and that's just how, how the game is. Yeah. So, um, you know, in 2016, I had a string of wins. I was hoping that I would get that phone call in 2017. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. You know, I, I got calls to fight uh Jalen Love on short notice. I got called to fight Peter Keelan on short notice. And these are fights that I accepted. Yeah. But then they go back to the other side. And, and they're not about and it. And these guys say no. So um, I just try to stay busy, try to stay in the gym. And, you know, this way when I do get that call, I'm always ready. It just doesn't work out that way, so. So you you do get the call for this one, and 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 you're gonna be back in
0: in a few weeks. Here is is the hope that this is gonna now roll into a, a very busy time, and and we'll get another one in before the end of the year. What are you what are you looking to, I guess, go for for the next like
1: six months or so? I'm hoping so. I mean, obviously that that is the goal is to, you know, you you obviously want to stay busy. You don't want any any ring rust. So in event that you do get that call, that you're ready. You know the 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 machine is well lubricated and and you're ready to go to step it up to for whoever it is that they put in front of you um but yeah ultimately that is the goal you know i'd like to get this one in on september 1st which is going to be at the coconut creek casino and hopefully bigger things in the future
0: you got into to, to boxing late but um i want to to get again kind of your assessment of of yourself at, at this point in your career, like. Do you still find yourself uh, with with as many years in the game as you've had? Like, do you find yourself improving and learning new things day after day? Because you spend so much time in a gym. You're, you know, one of the top coaches down here as well. And and you're around the minds of fighting a lot. So uh, do you do you find yourself a lot of times going back to the the roots of what you learned? Or do you find yourself uh, always evolving?
1: I find myself always evolving, Um, you know, being in the gym, whether it's training fighters to actually training myself, um, I'm always evolving, you know, it, and I'm constantly reminding myself as I'm teaching other fighters of some of the basics that I need to stay the course with. It's it's great. It's just a constant reminder of everything that I need to do. And, uh, you know, my mind is always tuned into the sport. So I never deviate away from what, you know, what needs to be done.
0: What could you say a, a young Daya Davis the thing that you focused on the most and, and how has that shifted to, to where you are today as far as training is concerned? Well, a young Daya Davis,
1: I didn't know much. You know, like I learned everything from my father starting at a late age. And, you know, my, my mindset was study, study, study. The more you study, the more you get better. Um, what I would do is I would, I would train. I'd be in the gym for a couple of hours with my dad and I would head home and I would just watch countless videos. And the videos that I watched were just of great fighters. Like, I didn't want to watch any, you know, sort of, sp- uh, sort of speak, like, okay fighters. So I only watched the greats. I watched Evander Holyfield. I watched Pernell Whitaker, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, my father, of course. I would watch uh, Salvador Sanchez. So I'm just constantly reminded of the things that need to be done and watching fighters fight through adversity and just basically handpick. Guys apart, and just gradually get them out of there. So
0: you were you were almost like you were, you were trying to see what the best were of the greats and see what you could kind of mimic or or steal, like it were the things you were trying to emulate. Like what what was something that you're like, yeah,
1: I got I got to try that and make that work, because uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty unique thing. Indeed, um, like Ray Leonard, for example, was a great finisher, uh, great boxing ability, but once Ray had you hurt, you were gone. You were in trouble. So that was one thing that I, I tried to emulate, you know, like if uh, I would, I'd see something that I would like, I'd hit pause on the VHS. You know, this is back in like 04. So this is when I, when I first started. I had a, an MMA fighter named Dustin Dennis who gave me a bunch of collection of VHS tapes and, you so know. You had like the old ESPN classics and all the that Old ESPN classics, yeah. So I would, I would just watch countless video. If I saw something I liked, hit pause, work on it, you know, try it in the mirror. Go back to the tape, hit play again, and just, just always studying, you know, always learning and evolving.
0: Did you find yourself, like, when you, when you were trying to execute those things in the gym, like, were your coaches, whether it be your dad or your trainers, were they, like, what the hell are you doing? Where did you learn that? Like, because they want to maybe go with what they were teaching you, or, or were they kind of hip to your
1: ways of, of learning? I think they were definitely hip. I mean, being that I started so late, you know, I had to, I had to grow and excel quickly didn't have a lot of time, you know, did, no amateur career. So, um, you know, my, my time span with, and my learning curve had to be quick, you know, I didn't have time to, to fool around. So um, the idea was just to gain as much knowledge as possible, whether it be videos or if you're learning from, whether it was learning from my father or even other, other trainers in the gym, I mean, he was, he was open to whatever.
0: Dye, you started, like, I think I read the story. Like, the story was you you were watching, like, a Klitschko fight, and that's why you decided you wanted to, to get into
1: boxing. Like, is that the, is that the I deal? I was watching the last fight between Vitali Klitschko and Lennox Lewis. And I was the chupster, man. I was 228 pounds, and I just felt like at that time, I said, damn, Klitschko was a short notice replacement up against Lennox Lewis, giving him, giving him fits, man. And I said, you know what? I can do this. I can be heavyweight champion of the world. So after that fight, shadow bo- I started shadow boxing, not knowing how to even throw a punch. The next day I called my dad and I said, Pop, I want a box. He said, box what? <laughs> <laughs> Oranges and grapes? I said, no, man, I want a box. Stop playing. <laughs> so he says, all right, listen. He said, if you want a box, you got to lose some weight. He's like, there's no way you're going to be a heavyweight. He said, you're six foot. These heavyweights now are behemoths. He said, you're going to have to get down to about light heavyweight, which is 175 pounds. I looked at him like he was crazy. I said, all right. He says, well, I said, well, what do you want me to do? He says, change your diet and start running. So in four months, I got down to 185 pounds. Jeez. So uh, that was it. He sorted out with Sirius, and I took my journey down to South Florida from New York. My car broke down as lit- literally as soon as I got to Florida, and that's that's it. That was destiny.
0: We're talking to Diet Davis. You guys can catch him. September 1st, he's going to be at the Seminole Casino in Coconut Creek. He's uh he's Back at it. It's Battle at the Creek, and you guys can get your uh, tickets. Best way to go is to go to Dia's social media. It's D Y A H underscore Ali A L I on Instagram. You guys can find him there. Or Dia Ali Davis on on Twitter. You talk about the frustrations of people like not wanting to fight you. Is it is it mostly frustrating because you're you're seeing this stuff from a certain place, whether it's watching people on TV or you're amongst the elite of the elite because of the people you train with and the people you coach. Is the, is the frustration because you know you're at that level and it's just a very hard
1: thing for people to be willing to give the opportunity? It's very frustrating, uh, especially over the last the last few years. Um, I, you know what's funny is that me and Kayla were actually uh, saying that today. We, we had a little bit of – we touched on that conversation. And at the end of the day, if it didn't get to where I'd expect it to be, I know I've been in there with with some of the best, and I know why it is that guys don't want to fight me. So, you know, I've been ranked as high as number three in the world. You know, I was probably one fight away from, from fighting for the world title. You know, with that being said, you know, I've achieved a lot in my career. You know, no amateur career. Started at the age of 23. In a span of eight months, I turned pro. So I've done more than what's expected anyway. So if I were to walk away from the game and didn't ultimately achieve, what I wanted, it's okay. I, I'd be all right with that. Well, yeah, you've 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 put
0: yourself uh, a nice career for yourself. But do you do you still have like grand aspirations? Like, where where do you where do you find yourself? You know, in those in those moments alone. Like, do you still think about you know still still fighting you know silly pun, but like fighting the fight to keep going into the career because you still want to get to those top levels, or is it something that you just do
1: because you have a passion for it? Where where do you? What do you see as the main drive for yourself right now? I definitely have a passion for it. Um, you know, the goal is to get back into title contention. I'm still hungry. I'm still in the gym with that same mindset, that same focus. So I'm just going to keep pushing, man, until, until that, that, that door opens up for me. Now, you're also a coach. You're a coach at American Top Team. You're one of the, the,
0: the top boxing coaches there. Yes, and you work with the likes of Dustin Poirier, one of the best lightweights on the planet. Amanda Nunes, uh, women's champion, Ioana and J Chick, one of the baddest women on the planet. What was that that transition like for you in, in 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 getting people prepped? Do you do you train people how you would want to be trained? Do you do you get to know your fighters and see what works for them? How does the mindset of a coach
1: work for yourself? Definitely. I mean, every every fighter has a different style, a different makeup, you know, everyone's just built differently. You you need to get to know The fighter first, and then train accordingly. Um, Let's see. I mean, with Dustin, he's a hard worker. He's gonna he's gonna push to the limit. So each time, you know, what what we have a opponent scheduled, we work on on their weaknesses, on how we can capitalize on their weaknesses.
0: Getting into uh, some of the stuff that's going on currently with your guy, Dustin Poirier. Uh, it was just announced past week that he's going to be fighting Nate Diaz at right. Madison Square Garden. Should right. Nate Diaz show up? Because he had a little spat on, uh, on, on Twitter that he was mad at the UFC because they announced the Conor McGregor thing. Um, but I've been saying this on the show for a while now. If Dustin was in any other weight class, he'd probably have three title shots by now. For sure. With how good he's been and how dominant he's been for, man, four years since, since going to 155. So when you look at the Nate Diaz fight, do you, do you look at this as it's, it's, it's notoriety and that's, and that's to show that Dustin is above maybe the people who are just better known right now? Or is it just you got to keep him busy and you got to keep him hungry
1: because of the circumstances at hand? Uh, Dustin's the guy who likes to stay busy. Um, he's not a guy who likes to sit and wait. So whereas there are a lot of weird things going on with the lightweight division right now, especially at the top, um he wants to stay busy and he wants the best challenges nate diaz is in front of him right now and uh obviously a uh, a tough challenge you know he's beating the likes of connor and the who's who of the lightweight division so he wants to test himself i mean regardless he's not going to sit on the on the shelf for 8 months to 10 months to a year waiting for this whole lightweight yeah and top well, guys it late taking, to unfold he's
0: taking crazy challenges too like Indeed. it's, not, it's Indeed. not been a it's not been one of these things where he's sitting on the sidelines like he's whoever's the craziest thing out there going to because i mean that eddie fight he was he was rocking along i'm talking about the first one right and with the circumstances at hand i could understand him saying look i think i've proven myself against eddie and he really wanted to put an exclamation point on that
1: yeah no definitely it was a lot of bad blood going into that one and uh <laughs> As you can see, Dustin got a little hot-headed towards the end of the fight. After he already finished Eddie, he was still going after the coaches. Like, you know, you guys roll with this <laughs> Like, y'all just as guilty. Y'all got to go down, too. I'm like, it's, dude, it's over. You yeah. got it. The, well, win's, the win's in your pocket now.
0: I wonder from that standpoint, because you, you're you on both sides of it. Like, it's, it's a lot of team that goes into fighting because you need a lot of people to prepare yourself. But, it, man, it's an individual sport. And at the end of the day, it is just you. So... Where do, you, where do you find that balance, like, from, from your standpoint of being the guy who supports the guy and then being the guy who's in the ring? Like, what is
1: that balance like? It's a little different. I mean, you know, obviously when you got your guy that you're working with and that you're coaching on a regular basis and they win, it's rewarding, um, especially when they're executing the game plan that, you know, you guys worked on in the gym, you know, at uh, phone conversations. When all of that gets said and done, it's just as rewarding, if not as satisfying, you know, for your own personal win. Really? It is. Yeah? It is. It is. That's interesting. But, like,
0: because because boxing can be dealt with a lot of BS and a lot of frustration, that's stuff that's out of your hands, when everything is supposed to be in your hands, you know what I mean? Like, you're in a sport where you have to take care of everything yourself in on, on fight night. And there's a lot of BS that's around it that's not able to be in your control, and you kind of just you got to let things you know be how they are and just do the best job as possible. When when you put all that stuff aside, what are the most rewarding things on on fight night and winning? And and when you
1: see that those things come to fruition that you've worked so hard on. You know, when uh when you've got a fighter who's dedicated, you know, especially like, you know, Dustin for example, he's very family oriented. Um, you know, everything that he does is is for the building of his his family, his family's future. You know, he's got a daughter now, so um, he's just trying to make sure that she's got everything that she needs growing up. So, I mean, it's, it's it's definitely rewarding when a guy puts in all that hard work, all that hard effort, and he comes out on top. You know, you just, you want to see, you want to see that for a guy like Dustin. He, uh, like I said, he works extremely hard and everything he does is just on the, on the back of his family.
0: But but what about for you? I mean, personally, when you're when you're on fight night, like, what are the moments that you,
1: I guess, savor the most on, on a successful fight night? Successful fight night is satisfaction. Um, you know, you definitely put in the hard work. You're you're either at home, you're watching video of your opponent, you're training in, you're in the gym every day, working hard. You're getting up early mornings for that road work. Um, you know, just. There's so many different scenarios that, that play in your mind, you know, that, that ge- when you're getting ready for a fight, you know, unfortunately you have, it may enter your mind, the scenario of you losing, but you try to eliminate that right away. It's like, ah, right, let me get that out of my head. You're not going to lose. You're going to win. You're seeing your hand raised. You're victorious come fight night. There's nobody in the world going to beat you. You beat up everybody in the gym. You beat up every, you know, you've done everything that you've, do- that you've needed to do to get prepared. Whether it was sparring or your road work, the train the hard training in the gym, you know, the sauna sit, sometimes you you gotta cut weight. So you know that you're gonna come out victorious in the end. It's mind over matter. That's all it is. We're talking to Dia Davis, you
0: guys gotta go see him fight September first. He's fighting at the Seminole Casino in Coconut Creek. Battle at the creek. Guys uh hit him up on, on social media, best way to get your your tickets there at Dia underscore Ali and of course we'll uh, we'll post this out once the interview posts at well at at 790 the ticket and at brendan underscore tobin you guys will be able to find it there i really appreciate the time man uh it's much appreciated and we're rooting for you thank you brother man it's always a pleasure thank you for having me he's dia davis check him out september 1st when we come back we'll get into the news and notes of the week in ufc and boxing we're back right after this on fighters fury it's fighters fury on am 790 the ticket again to diane davis for stopping by the studio and having a great conversation with us this morning again coconut creek Seminole casino going down september 1st go reach out to him on social media he has uh, your tickets to go watch him return to the ring fascinating conversation fascinating dude and um yeah man very much excited to seeing his guy dustin pori back in the ring as well when he takes on Nate Diaz in November at Madison Square Garden. Should Nate Diaz decide to show up? I guess he told TMZ this week he's still unsure if he's uh, if he's going to show up for that fight. He was upset for getting upstaged by the announcement of Conor McGregor for and uh, and Khabib Nurmagomedov on the same press conference. I get that from Nate. That's that's kind of the the beat that March uh, the the beat that Nate marches to. Um, but it's going to be a good fight. It, 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 I think it's a tremendous fight. I think it's a really good fight for Dustin with the situation that he's in because. He has been steamrolling guys, and that title picture is in a weird spot. It actually wants—I wanted to get to this this point with it because, you know, one hundred and fifty-five. It is so thick. It is a. It is a. It really. It's the best division right now on the planet, and I don't know if it, what it is. If it's just the size, the mix of guys, um, having that mix between being able to really execute everything in the game, um, a mix of guys being able to have knockout power, speed. Uh, elusiveness, it's, it, it, I don't know, it, it it just seems like one of those divisions in, in, in MMA where guys mesh the best. And so for that, it, it right now is the best division going in UFC. But there were conversations this week, so George St. Pierre comes out in the media and he was talking about how he wants to fight the winner of Khabib versus Conor. And, you know, I get George wanting that fight and wanted to fight the winner of that. And I, I especially think he wants to fight Connor. I mean, that's been a thing that's been bantied about left and right. There's just a couple of things that are amiss with this with me. One, all respect to George St. Pierre. All-time great. Arguably the best of all time. I just don't understand. And he made this point this week where he doesn't think the UFC would let him fight for the title at 185. Because they don't want him winning and up and leaving the division. I just... There's something about guys going down that's a miss for me when it comes to wanting to go down to fight smaller guys to go get belts. It was the whole thing with me with TJ Dillashaw and Mighty Mouse Johnson with him wanting to go down to 125 pounds and get the belt. It, just doesn't, it doesn't jive the same way with me as the challenge, say, as a Daniel Cormier where he's going up in weight or a Conor McGregor where he was a 145-pound champ and then wanted to go to 155 pounds. The other thing that is, let's say it's a Connor versus George St. Pierre fight. I think the big thing that's going to be a miss with this fight is it's really hard to rattle George St. Pierre as far as trash talk is concerned. Like it's been tried before with Nick Diaz and Josh Koscheck where they've talked a lot of junk, but I think part of that is the the return fire of it. So, you know, I guess we get Conor McGregor making fun of George's era and, and you know, how much he's been more successful as a draw and all that, but I don't think it's going to be one of those things where I feel like we'll be disappointed with the buildup more so than it will be remembered. And the other thing is with with Conor and, and, and this type of match with George, you know, George doesn't have the most exciting style in the world. It's never been the most crowd-pleasing style in the world, so... He's almost come to a point where he can take the best away from everybody in any fight that he goes into, that it almost makes the, the fight a little bit of a lull. And so, I don't know. There's something about this 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 challenge that George wants to take that is amiss with me. And I don't think I'd, I'd want to see it as much as other matchups. It's not that I'm not going to pay to see it, and it's not that I wouldn't fork over my money on pay-per-view to watch it. But when I look at this 155-pound division and all the guys that are coming up, you know, Connor has been a guy who always looks for the big challenge and always looks for the the, the next buzz thing. And so I think he'd be into taking the George St. Pierre fight too. It's just for me, I, I really want to see a, a time where Connor almost defends the belt a little bit and just establishes his great reign, because I almost do think that's the last thing that people put up, put up against him, that, you know, he had this, this, this crazy rise to the top where he cleaned out 145 pounds. He meant to go 155 pounds. It got derailed because Rafael DeSantos got hurt. So then they made the Nate Diaz fight. We all know how that saga went down. Then eventually went and took the Eddie Alvarez fight, which, you know, I went back and watched it the other day, and we, it, it might have been one of the easiest fights of Conor's career. It's crazy how much he went through Eddie. How, how, how he, you think about what a badass Eddie Alvarez is, and we talked about that a little bit with Diah Davis, where that was a big risk for Dustin Poirier to go in and, and re- run that fight back to make a point that he was the better man. And You know, Dustin, as much as he had success in that fight, there were back and forces of that. It's like, man, Connor, it, it, it was like he didn't even sweat to beat Eddie Alvarez. Just like he did against Jose Aldo, and, you know, had a little bit of, of a, a dust up with Chad Mendez, but wasn't really that much danger, especially for a guy that he took on, you know, a week's notice, basically. So you look at, you know, Connor's career and really the only back and forth that he's had has been with Nate Diaz. And so I guess that that's some of the appeal with the with the the George St. Pierre matchup. But I don't know. I just feel like George is at this point in his career where it's of another time and he is an all-time great and he is the best, especially of his era. I don't know. I just feel like this cross-era movement that they want to do with him. To me, I'd rather see Connor fight Tony Ferguson or see him fight DP or Kevin Lee or any of these up-and-comers because I want to see... What it's like when Connor has to defend the throne. Can he go on a George St. Pierre like run where he's just the champ or a Demetrius run or a John Jones run? Can we see Connor McGregor do that instead of taking these huge monster super fights? Because really he's the super fight. That's what it all comes down to. I mean, George St. Pierre, he fought Michael Bisbing. You thought it was gonna be a monster of all monsters, and it was it was a good buy, especially for what it's been lately in the UFC but it wasn't like what he used to be. You know, for me I just want to see Conor in there and let's see him if he if he's able to get his belt back from Khabib. Can he go out there then and defend against Tony? Can he defend against Dustin? Can he defend against Kevin Lee? Can he is there a rematch against Khabib down the pike? Something like that. That that's that's almost the next thing I would like to see Conor on. I guess depending on how long he's going to be. But Man, he's 30 years old. That's a lot of time left for a fighter. Uh, he has a lot of money to make if he still wants to do this. And for me, with George St. Pierre, if he does go out there and he beats Conor McGregor, whether Conor's the champ or Khabib's the champ, if he goes out and he beats Khabib, let's say Khabib beats Conor, and you know he says, oh, I don't know if the UFC will do it for... No, if, if, if they're going to have George St. Pierre do this... He is he's gonna have to do it for the belt. It just doesn't make sense. Like if you have your champ out there and he's gonna fight GSP, I feel like a belt has to be on the line. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are the real consequences of it for the other guy? I'm just fighting George St. Pierre for the for the for bleeps and giggles. And so you do this fight, if he does win and 155 is left in this vacant weird area where then you have to have a new belt thrown out there. It's great. Yeah, George St. Pierre has this feather in his cap that he's the greatest of all time. But, you know, for his legacy and all that, I, 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 don't, I don't really feel like it proves anything. We've seen George St. Pierre be the most dominant welterweight of all time. We're at a time where welterweight probably was 150, what 155 is now. We've seen him do that. We've seen him go up and do the 185-pound the thing. You know, the, really the only accomplishment we haven't seen George St. Pierre go through with is beating Anderson Silva that's the fight we've always wanted that's the fight we always wanted to see I know it's been kicked around and bandied about but I think that this idea that he's going to go down uh, George wins a third belt great but didn't defend it he went and beat a smaller guy beat a smaller champion uh naturally smaller what of it where, where do we go from here then then he's gonna ride off to the sunset. See, I did it. I won all three belts. Ha ha, great, uh, awesome, George. What does it do for the sport? How how is it gonna lift up? Because you're obviously basically saying, well, the UFC would never do it because I'm gonna do it as a one-off. I'm not gonna sit here and defend the throne. Well, what what does that what does that lift up? You know, the minute somebody got close, and Johnny Hendricks got close to beating you, you up and left, and 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 kicked about and whined about drug testing, and. You could argue that the welterweight division got more exciting with him gone. And so then he comes back and he fights Michael Bisbing and, all right, at least you knew that 85 was going to be in good hands because you had a killer like Robert Whitaker that had the interim belt, but you had no intention of fighting him. And the other thing that that annoyed me about it was, you know, George made it seem the entire time like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to fight and defend my belt and I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight Robert. No, man, you didn't. We knew the whole time that you weren't going to do that. And so, all right, great. You fight Conor McGregor. That's ultimately what you want. I don't even think you want to fight Khabib. So it's almost like this. Like, if Conor doesn't beat Khabib, then go do the George St. Pierre fight. Do it as a one-off. Do it as a super fight. And you know that's going to do huge numbers no matter what. But if Conor's the champ, I don't want George St. Pierre skipping this murderer's row that's at 155 pounds right now. It just doesn't seem right, and I get it. That's the era we're in. They're just skipping lines and making up their own rules, and that's what they've been doing. But you can, you can have that move in a lot of divisions. We can, we can break the rules and have DC fight a Brock Lesnar because, you know, it's not like Steve Amios is just that far away. You know the next fight he's going to get for the title shot. But 155 pounds, like... You know, we're talking about guys who, who are clawing to get to the top, who are, 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 are having to have their careers put on hold and any movement up top because it's so stacked. I just don't think that should be held up by a gimmick fight. I really don't, and especially one where I don't find that the guy who's coming into it, I feel like he's at his least buzzworthy. I think George St. Pierre's star power, has only declined and really the draw here is conor mcgregor if conor's gonna fight it's gonna be a big fight no matter what so why not just have him in the situation where it's done right no matter what because in all honesty with this build-up that's probably gonna come with khabib versus conor we sure that Khabib uh, versus are we sure that conor versus george st pierre is gonna do more than conor versus khabib i'm not sure we know that there's a natural, bitter rivalry here. We know that sells. We have the bus incident. That was on Good Morning America, Today Show, all over national news. Are we sure that Conor GSP, even realizing what George St. Pierre's star power used to be, are we sure that that's a bigger fight than this? I don't think so. I think that's definitely questionable, especially with the natural hate that these guys have The back and forth that they'll have. The natural rivalry that they'll have. George St. Pierre doesn't have a natural rivalry with anybody. He's the sweetest man on the planet. How is he going to play into Connor's games? How are we going to know? How is he going to feed the beast? How is he going to get people wanting to fork over their 60 bucks? Because the people that rode with Conor McGregor and, and, and started watching the UFC or escalated with the UFC watching him They're not the same guys that watch George St. Pierre. it has been a lot of turnover in the fan base. So, I get it. There's definitely appeal there. But I don't know if it's worth it doing that fight when you have a fight that may do more business coming up here. And if Conor gets his belt back after the Mayweather stuff, he's going to be as hot as ever. And I think any fight that you go out there and put him in there with, is going to be a monster, and I think it's almost better off for the sport if he sits there and starts showing fight after fight that he can defend his belt, that he is one of the all-time greats, that he wasn't a cherry picker. All those labels that get put on him, they don't really go away if he fights a George Saint Pierre, and if he beats a George Saint Pierre, what is it in for Connor? He has that on his resume, but then people are going to be like, ah, fought a depleted George Saint Pierre, had to. Starve himself to get to 155 pounds. Washed up George St. Pierre, old. I just think for Connor's standpoint, like, I think it's great for GSP. And there's a lot in it for him. But I think for Connor's standpoint, it's kind of like, all right, be the old timer, good for you. Great. We, uh, we ever going to get back to normalcy? Ever going to defend this belt? So, just think with George, it's just like, all right, man, we get it. You're great. You're one of the all-timers. I don't need you to go win a 155-pound belt to prove anything else just so you can get another payday. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch out and how it unfolds. We're back after this. Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. All right, welcome back, guys. Happy birthday to Tyson Fury. He's 30 years old today. He's fighting next week. He's fighting Francesco... Pianetta, his second comeback fight, his last one was a disaster when he was fighting that Sefer Seferi fella. What a terrible fight. But this is a big one for Tyson Fury because look, if he doesn't screw this up, and I imagine he's not going to. I mean, Christ, he was linear heavyweight champion of the world. He he apparently has a fight lined up with Deontay Wilder. That is the hotly reported thing. Now, the fight is close to being done, close to being finalized. Supposedly, Deontay Wilder is going to be over across the pond to watch this fight happen in Scotland, so we'll see. Um, You always got to be careful with this stuff because you never know what's going to quite fall out, but if this fight does go down, huge, huge move by both guys. Um, Tyson Fury, everybody says, ah, slow comeback, slow comeback. It's enough with the slow comebacks. There's nothing, there's very little to win for Tyson Fury in these slow comebacks. I get that he has to erase some of the ring rust, but you get two in the pot, two, two, two in the mark. That's it. You got to go. Especially if, if what you're doing in these fights is doing what you did the last fight against Sefer Sefer. It was a disaster. They're kissing each other. They're hugging each other in the midst of the fight. They're stopping in the middle of the fight to watch a brawl in the crowd. It was just, it was a complete bleep show. Plus the guy, I mean, he's carrying them like a baby. At the weigh-ins, can't be doing that with your opponent. You can't cradle him in your arms. Just not. And it was cool to see him back. But eventually, we we'll want to see if you're linear champ and you want to really make the way back. Let's go already. And Deontay Wilder's looking for a dance partner, obviously because of what went down with Anthony Joshua and not not coming to fruition. But most importantly, why Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury is a big deal it really gives them both the upper hand in taking the credibility arms race from Anthony Joshua. You know, Joshua's great, and he's tremendous, and he's, he's, he's really, really talented. But him taking this fight with Pavetkin instead of finalizing the Wilder fight I think was a big blow to a lot of people who thought this guy was going to be the heir apparent to the heavyweight division. For a long time, this thing was in the, de- in the death grip of the Klitschko brothers. It was held over in Europe. Five o'clock fights against dudes you never heard of. A lot of constants that are row in their name. And I think the heavyweight division suffered because of it. When Tyson Fury was able to beat Vladimir Klitschko, it opened up this whole new wave of people. This opportunity for guys to really step up and get new fights and because that fight went by the wayside the next fight we didn't see again was vladimir klitschko versus anthony joshua and joshua put forth a a a great fight an all-time heavyweight fight it's great but since then it's been it's been not the most exciting reign, and part of the reason is because one he had a replacement fight in there And the other is because we've been jonesing for this Deontay Wilder fight to go down. In the meantime, Deontay Wilder has fought Luis Ortiz. Very, very challenging fight. He's been the more fan-friendly fighter. And the other thing that's been frustrating about this entire thing has been, I can't for the life of me understand why there's all these sanctioning bodies and they would want Anthony Joshua to fight anybody but Deontay Wilder if you want those belts to mean anything. And so for me, the only guy out there right now who's fighting a true number one contender or a true guy who has a stake to the throne is Deontay Wilder if he takes this Tyson Fury fight. Tyson Fury is the last lineal heavyweight champion. He beat the man. Beat the man before anybody beat the man while he had the belts. Anthony Joshua had a very, very great performance against Vladimir Klitschko, a way more exciting fight against Vladimir Klitschko, showed more vulnerability than he did against Vladimir Klitschko, it was a more fan pleasing fight, but Klitschko had already been beat. He had already been beat after a long, long reign of not losing. It had been a long time since we've seen Klitschko get put on the canvas. He beat him, and it was thrilling. But he had already just lost to Tyson Fury, so it it, it doesn't it's not that it loses something, but if we're gonna go head-to-head matchup Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua it has to mean something when your belts when you're you're looking at, at the lineage of a belt and a championship has to mean something that Anthony Joshua beat Klitschko had a thriller but it was after he lost to Tyson Fury and after Tyson Fury took himself out of things so when Tyson Fury is going to make his return and he's gonna fight Deontay Wilder we can't forget that the last time we saw Tyson Fury in a ring, aside from that Sefer Seferi fight, the last time we saw him in a competitive fight, he was beating the reigning heavyweight champion of the world. And so, when Deontay Wilder, if he goes out here and he's able to beat Tyson Fury, you get a lot of people who are going to be like, hey, that's the man right now. And I know that's not going to be an easy thing for people in England to accept because you know Anthony Joshua's going to fight in front of 70,000 regardless, and he's beloved over there, and he's an icon over there. For whatever reason, our fighters here in America, they don't get that same kind of rub. It's why Deontay Wilder had to fight a lot of fights at UAB because he's a sell locally, but it's hard to it's, it was hard to, to get that, that ball rolling a lot. Look at how many fights he has. He's got twice the fights that Anthony Joshua has and a third of the star power. It's crazy. It's taken him a long time. But I do think that after being protected for a long time, he's out there and he's taking the big hacks. And look, these guys can go back and forth in the media all we want. If this fight goes down between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, actions are speaking a lot louder than their words are because there's a lot of chirping in boxing. There's a lot of words that get kicked around. Promoters like to play games with the media. Media likes to go back and forth and, and, and get headlines and clicks. But if we're just to look at the actions of the fighter – Deontay Wilder's actions have spoken a lot louder than Anthony Joshua's. You know? He's gone out there and he's fought Luis Ortiz, but didn't have to. Luis Ortiz has failed drug tests. But every reason to pull out of that fight, fighting a guy who maybe is 43, whatever they claim, and, and likelihood is probably older than that. And by the way, he cracks skulls. He's got maybe some of the nastiest power in the division. Probably the only guy who's got more power than Luis Ortiz in the division is Deontay Wilder. He's going into that fight 216 pounds and is getting bombarded in the midst of it, probably losing the fight on points, and comes back and finds a way to win. What's the next risk he wants to take? Tyson Fury, a guy who who, who has been out of the fight game, 50-50 to show up, but the last time he was in a ring against a, a legitimate fighter was beating the reigning heavyweight champion of the world. He's got a really awkward style. He's fighting a dude who's equally as tall as him. It's not an easy fight. And so when you're asking me who the heavyweight champion of the world is, if Deontay Wilder gets his arm raised about this, I don't care how many belts Anthony Joshua has. You got a hard, you got a hard, you're going to have a hard time arguing to me that Deontay Wilder doesn't have a more legitimate piece of the crown. And if Tyson Fury is able to go out there and he's able to beat Deontay Wilder, you're going to have a hard time arguing to me that the guy who's beaten the more legitimate heavyweight champs the last two times that he's been in the ring you're going to have a hard time arguing to me that it's not Tyson Fury over Anthony Joshua. And so it's great. Look, Anthony Joshua is the cash cow. He's super popular in England. Everybody loves him. He's the golden boy. The golden pony. But even though he's more beloved and he may have more fans, a lot of people, especially hardcore boxing fans, pundits, media people, coaches, I don't know how any of us can look at this and say, hey, it's great and all, but what Anthony Joshua's doing stinks. It stinks now. It was a thriller to get to the top, but since he's been at the top, it's been a little bit lackluster. So this fight coming up against Pavetkin, he better do it in dandy style, man. Because ain't nobody want to see him fight Alexander Povetkin. I mean, this better be a thrashing. And I got to tell you, the more we've been watching Anthony Joshua, the more it's been looking like Lennox Lewis. Hasn't been a guy who's exactly looking for the knockout. And that's fine. Not, not saying you got to go out there and, and clean everybody's clock. But if we're in an arms race to decide who is the guy at heavyweight and they won't fight each other, what else can we go on? What are, what are the things we're going to argue about? It, at bars and amongst friends at meals or in the barbershops, where the hell? What else can we go on? Who's the man? It, it's tough having these arguments if they're not going to go up against each other. So then we just got to go off parallel performances. Who looked better against whom? Who had a better outing the last time? Because it's, it's hard to say the last time they've been out there. Who's thrilled you more? Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua? Hasn't even been close. Not even close. Carlos Tacom. Against Anthony Joshua. Oh, shouldn't have even been stopped. Should have gone the distance. The last fight against Joe Parker, look, there's some high level boxing that was going on there, but no one's gonna call it an all-time classic. Let's not be silly. It's not. The last time Deontay Wilder's been out there, he's fighting through a lot of adversity to beat a dangerous guy in Luis Ortiz, guy nobody wanted to face. Beat a guy in Romance Taverne. Yeah, schlubby as hell. He was not in fighting shape for that fight. But he turned him into a damn internet meme. And knocked him down three times in 90 seconds. Doing the electric slide afterwards. That's how bad he beat his brains in. So, we're just at this point right now with these guys where if they're not going to fight each other, we're going off. What are they going to do in their upcoming performances to decide who the man is? But, as far as opponent picking is gone... If the next dance partner for Deontay Wilder is Tyson Fury, I mean, what is Anthony Joshua going to be able to do to trump that? Is he getting Lennox Lewis out of retirement? Is he going to go get an all-time great off the shelf? Because this is what people want to see. People want to see the best fight the best. They want to see the last lineal heavyweight champion in Tyson Fury fight a legitimate champion in Deontay Wilder. They don't want to see Anthony Joshua fight Alexander Povetkin, who... You know, it's 50-50 to make the ring if you can get through all the drug tests. I don't want to see that. does nothing for anybody. So just keep that in mind when we're, uh, when, we're, when we're getting down. But Tyson Fury, happy 30th birthday. Back in action next week against Francesco Pianetta. Don't screw this up, Tyson Fury. That last performance was less than stellar. And so, you know, just get through this fight. Let's get to that Deontay Wilder fight in December. Should be tremendous everybody have a great rest of your day and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Talk to you next week We do this uh, post show in the bullpen for those who didn't know how this thing rolls so if the mic sounds a little different that'd be why man if you guys are ever curious of such radio type tactics. So let's get into um, some of the things that we weren't able to get to on the show. Uh, a lot of, uh, lot of chirping about this week. We're in a very slow time in mixed martial arts and boxing. Um, things will pick up in the fall again. But, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty slow right now. I don't think there's UFC until, like, I think August 25th. There's some Bellator coming up. So Bellator will get some shine coming up. But it's, uh, it's a little bit slow, man. It's a little bit slow as far as boxing is concerned. But there was a lot of chirping. I want to get to this uh, story with TJ Dillashaw. Um a couple things went on with him this week obviously he's the champ so he's getting some rub this week tj dillashaw had a theory he was on uh, below the belt with brendan schaub and he had a theory that the ufc loved cody garbrandt and wanted them to win and that he felt disrespected and that he's felt disrespected a lot in the uh in the entire title reign title run you know as far as he had to go back and get um had to go back and he had to get himself you know some wins before he could get a title shot again and that, you know, the UFC wanted to run back the Cody fight right away, even though he won that fight. But here's the thing with, with TJ. This is what doesn't jive with me with that complaint or that thing that he's pointing out. I get that he's saying that the UFC wants Cody Garbrandt to be a star um, because they want stars. And they see Cody. They think he's got the package. I don't really quite know. Why everybody jumped on Cody thinking he could be the guy. Um, He's not the greatest personality in the world. He's got a cool personality. Obviously, those uh, those tweets that came out, that was a little bit of a bummer to see fly out with Cody. But, you know, it's not like I don't I I didn't watch Cody Garbrandt and think, oh, my God, this guy's going to be the next coming. But. His performance against Dominic Cruz was very impressive. I mean, he beat the brakes off of Dominic Cruz in a way that TJ hadn't. And so and when he was he was popping and locking in the midst of the fight. So maybe that's what people uh saw in him. But I didn't feel like Cody got this monumental backing that hadn't been seen by other fighters. Why? Because he was the he got the the face of body armor before going into it. Um, maybe in the first fight I could see what, what TJ was talking about. That that Cody was getting more of the shine and but, you know they were both put on Ultimate Fighter. They both got that platform. Uh, I think TJ actually came of that looking better than Cody did, quite frankly. And here's the big, here's the big chink I think in TJ's theory. You know, they were basically shaming Demetrius Johnson into fighting TJ Dillashaw, not Cody Garbrandt. You know, for the longest time Dana was out here there was threats that they were going to shut down the division if he didn't take the fight against TJ Dillashaw. They were basically <coughs> excuse me. They were basically making a quote-unquote super fight for TJ Dillashaw. And I like TJ Dillashaw. He's an exciting fighter. He may be one of the most well-rounded fighters on the roster with with his abilities with with how he strikes people. He he is really really tremendous. But that's about it, you know, for him, he's, he's, he's got all the stuff in ring, but he's a little vanilla outside the ring. It's starting to come out a little bit more what he's doing this week, where he's calling out Javante Davis, Javante Davis has been hard calling him out. He's doing great stuff now, but that stuff all comes with time. You know, like people always look at, at the rise. Some guys have. Yeah. Some of people are like a rocket ship, like Conor McGregor. And it comes up in about 18 months time. and. You know, they're they're, they're the next coming. But for the most part, it takes a lot of guys a a while before they are looked upon as the stars that they are. And the only thing that just didn't jive with me with TJ was, hey, man, they were trying to get you the Mighty Mouse fight like crazy. They were trying to give you this opportunity to become a multi-division champion. They weren't doing that for Cody. And, you know, maybe Cody would have... Been given that opportunity, had he won that fight against you initially, but they were they were, you know, the first plan was to go and give it to you. It's just that what Mighty Mouse ended up getting surgery, and they had look as we know with Tyron Woodley right now, they are desperate to come up with title fights. So I can see where TJ's coming from, where they say, oh, they wanted Cody to be the guy, you know, he's younger. It's got the neck tats. Neck tats are huge, you know. If you have neck tats, you are, you are the, you are the thing, obviously. But in, in seriousness, I, I get where where TJ is coming from. I just, I, I it's not a hundred percent sell for me. I can't, I, I can't, I can't ignore the fact that the UFC was out here trying to make a Demetrius Johnson title fight for you. They were gonna let you skip the line at 125 pounds to fight mighty mouse so i don't know the other thing is um you know he doesn't think dominic cruz deserves a title shot because dominic's basically been out since he lost to cody garbrandt and all right that's fine i mean you know maybe maybe dom should go get one more fight um and prove himself you know he is Looked upon as one of the top bantamweight champions of all time, but he did get his ass kicked by Cody Garbrandt. I mean, make no mistake about that. Um, it's just it's weird to me that TJ has become this weird guardian of the championships, and and why such as he's got a he's got a reasoning for everybody. You know, it's a little Tyron Woodley esque, and I think that is always a dangerous place to go with fans when you're always explaining why I deserve this. And such-and-such and such doesn't deserve that. It, it it becomes very catty. And I, I don't think it's a thing that makes you very, very personable to fans. Now, what he's doing with Javante Davis. Javante Davis, who don't know uh, if you're on the mixed martial arts side of things, not boxing. Tank Davis is, I would say, the most talented guy that Floyd Mayweather has promoted. Floyd Mayweather has not been the greatest promoter in the world, but... People look at Javante Davis and they say, that guy is 135-pound Mike Tyson. He's a, He is a very, very dangerous man for that size. Also has neck tats. And people thought that he has the chance to be one of the real young stars in boxing. Javante had a little bit of a hiccup when he fought on the Mayweather-McGregor undercard. He fought a really, really lackluster style in his win. Came out dressed like a Furby and you know since then he got a win against it there's been a lot of turmoil between him and Floyd Mayweather uh he's become BFF with Adrian Broner and young guy comes from the from from the hard streets of Baltimore but uh but a really really devastating body body attacker he is he is uh really really talented and 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 really can be something um but he said after the Cody-TJ fight that he wants to fight the guy that fought Cody. And TJ said, bring it on, mother bleeper. And so they're going back and forth. He's like, ah, oh, kick your ass. Uh, TJ says, last a round. And eventually it got to TJ saying, well, go, go, go call your daddy Floyd Mayweather and have him release you and let you do this fight in the UFC. And I got to say, you know, it's been interesting because this has been a very tumultuous relationship between Javante Davis and Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather was out there saying they want to do the Lomachenko fight. And the thing that was interesting about that with Javante is, you know, Javante is very young. And Lomachenko has been just making people quit left and right in the ring. And that just goes 110% against the Floyd Mayweather career boxing playbook. Floyd Mayweather was always fight the easiest guy for the biggest paycheck. And Lomachenko is the hardest guy for an equal paycheck, most likely. And so I just found it very surprising. Now, the thing that would be interesting with Javante, if he does go in there and fight TJ and they want to fight in, in mixed martial arts, You'll have a little bit of Lomachenko-Javante crossover. There's not a lot for Javante to lose in this regard if he was to do it because he is going to lose. We know he's going to lose, but that's the thing. We know he's going to lose. If he shows the balls to step into a cage, he didn't do what Floyd did. He didn't take the MMA fighter and bring him over to the sport, to to the sweet science. If he has the guts to step into an octagon with one of the baddest men on the planet in TJ Dillashaw, I think his credibility is going to go through the roof, even if he gets murked, even if he does get put down quickly. I think it's a big-time career move for Javante Davis. I think it's a smart, smart maneuver. And I think that will have lead-up for the Lomachenko fight because TJ and Loma are are, are, are tight. They train together before, uh, before matches. I know a lot of people are mocking Javante because they think he's going to get his ass whooped, and he probably will get his ass whooped. But I think it's a good career move. I really do. I really do. I think that him doing this fight, if he does the, if he does the, uh, who was it? It was Ray Mercer or the James Tony? Excuse me. If he does that, I think that's a big time risk for Javante Davis, but I think it comes with great reward. Nobody's taking those types of risks. And we've seen a lot. We've seen now every, all these MMA guys who want to go over to boxing, but we haven't seen the reverse. And I'd be interested in seeing, If Dana White would be into making this happen, I think it'd be cool. You get Floyd Mayweather back as a face for with UFC again. So there be talk of Floyd ever doing that when he's in front of microphones. Um, And then ultimately, when Javante does go back to boxing, because he's had the fight with TJ, then there's a little bit of natural heat with him and Lomachenko. I think it's a good move, man. I like it. I know that people are just thinking it's, it's Twitter tough thumbs and maybe it is. But I think I think for everybody involved, I think it's a really, really good fight. I don't know how great it'll be in the cage, but I think as far as lead up is concerned, you know, if TJ's looking for something that, while, you know, he finds a true quote unquote true number one contender, um, or to allow Mighty Mouse to come back and see if that fight comes to fruition, see what he does in the Cejudo trilogy, I think this is fun, man. I like this a lot. I think they should do it. Other news that happened this week. Oh, want to give a shout-out to Trevor Bryan. He's uh, trained locally at the Heavyweight Factory before and with Stacey McKinley. Uh, he got himself a win over BJ Flores. Four-round TKO. He wins the Interim WBA Championship, so that's cool. He gets a, a piece of that title. He's, uh, he's uh, you know, really, really uh, nice. A lot of work that's been put into that, so just want to give a shout-out to a guy who's been following a little bit down here. And... I want to mention this. So, oh, two more notes. I want to mention Greg Hardy got himself a win. Uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, seventeen second knockout. Only thing I can say with with Greg Hardy is, look, this is very controversial. A lot of people don't want Greg Hardy in the UFC, and it's gonna it's gonna blow up even more when he's actually fighting in the UFC. But you got to get ready for it because Dana white is salivating every time this guy goes and destroys somebody in this Tuesday night contender series. So just be ready for it. Um, You know, fighting's had a lot of bad dudes in it. You know, that's another thing I guess we got to throw out there. Like we can't, we can't as fight fans, UFC or boxing, look at this and say, it's anything new. It's not. Um, There's a lot of rough characters, that have been in this sport and I don't think we watch boxers because they're good guys. I think we watch it because we want to watch two men in a ring or a cage beat each other's brains in, which is about the most primal thing there is left in sports. So, you know, I, I I'm not saying if you don't want to watch, don't watch. That's fine. That's on you. I'm not going to be one of these guys that's protesting the UFC. Uh, Because Greg Hardy's fighting in it. Because I've watched a lot of guys in the UFC or Bellator or boxing that have bad pasts, whether it's domestic violence, shootings, thefts, arrests, gambling, womanizing, a lot of bad stuff. And I'm not saying that domestic violence isn't on another level, and I'm not saying what he did wasn't disgusting. It's just... What he, what, when you go through the law, you know, I don't know when we get to the point where you're not allowed to work anymore, especially in something like this. You're an independent contractor, you're not in a league. He got kicked out of the league, it cost him his career. He's now fighting for pennies on the dollar of what he was making or would have made in his NFL career. So, I don't want to say that Greg Hardy suffered, but he certainly has faced really big consequences for what he did. And I think we're kind of at the point where if you want to be pissed at Greg Hardy and you want to be mad at Greg Hardy, good, be mad at Greg Hardy. But I don't think we're at the point where the guy can't make a living in some kind of professional athletics. That's what he does. Um, so just just some food for thought there. His counterpart at American Top Team is Colby Covington. And I thought, Cody, I thought Kobe made a really, really sound point this week um, when it comes to his title match with Tyron Woodley. And, you know, he threw out a lot of fights that he was interested in. He was interested in fighting GSP, fighting the winner of Connor Khabib, fighting Nick Diaz, or fighting uh, the winner of Darren Till versus Tyron Woodley. But I thought that Cody made a sound point uh, amidst all the, uh, the BS. Cause everybody always looks at him and you know, they think he's a clown show. They think he sounds fake, all that blah, blah, blah that we've heard. But either way, that guy, a, that guy got an entire arena booing him. He got people to feel feelings. And that's pretty impressive for just having one fight where people are paying attention to you. And it, it's not like even people were paying attention to the Damien Maya fight. People paid attention to what he said after the Damien Maya fight. So for Colby, The fight against RDA was really the first fight people were paying attention to Colby Covington from the start of a fight getting announced through the results. And here's the other thing. Everybody thought he was going to get his ass whooped in this RDA fight. There were not a lot of people picking him. And he dominated RDA. He really, I I really thought he did. I didn't think it was a close fight. You know, some people thought, oh, close fight, 3-2. And I thought it was 4-1. I didn't think it was very close at all. Um... But that being said, he makes a fair point in this week where he goes, "You know, I just don't understand why we had to rush to a Tyron Woodley fight. It's very short-sighted by the UFC to have this Till versus Woodley fight, which it is. They're just doing it because they need a title fight and why we wouldn't build up Woodley versus myself. I mean, that is a big-time fight. It needs some buildup. And I think he's right. I think, I think that that needed a lot of media I think you need to get people starting rooting for your champion and Tyron Woodley. Um, there's obviously, there is obviously a big racial element to it. You know, Kobe's the white dude, conservative, loves Trump, was at the White House with the belt. You know, Tyron Woodley has been out there saying that black champions are not treated the same as as white champions by the UFC. They are not treated on the same level. He thinks that plays into the part of why he's not a bigger star than he is. I just think that this this fight. Could have had a lot of buildup and gotten us to know these two individuals on a different level. And I I really think for the most part would have made Tyron Woodley um, popular in a lot of people's eyes for the first time because he has that foil in Colby Covington. Um, And then if Colby Covington wins this fight, I mean, he becomes bonafide as the biggest villain in the UFC on the planet most hated. Maybe more hated than Conor McGregor, because Conor has a lot of people that love him. I don't feel like Colby has a lot of people who love him. Even though you got to realize that this is all just a work. Um, I don't think there's a lot of people who are riding with Colby. Although, look, this is one thing that is uh, always lost amongst our our country um, that there are a lot of people on the other side of the planet. Like you know, Donald Trump wasn't voted in president because nobody voted for him so just has to be kept in mind i just think that um i just think it's the smarter fight i think it was dumb for the ufc to let it go by the wayside i really do i don't think they have many natural rivalries i don't think that they have many things that can play on emotions just naturally um i think this could have been the next john jones versus daniel cormier and they're just doing it to let him fight to to let Willie fight darren till and i don't know just just I I think you would have been better off canceling the pay-per-view and making it a fight night than you would have doing this. But we'll see. Anyway, that's my show for today, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks again to Dia Davis for joining the show. Go watch his fight September 1st at the Seminole Casino in Coconut Creek. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears?